pep, pep, bla, 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 bla. Hello, and welcome to See One, Do One, Teach One, the podcast dedicated to becoming a better medical educator. With me, Pick Mukherjee. And Tom Pereira. Hey, we're back. Better, stronger, faster. In this episode, we are going to explore whether COVID killed teaching. Oh my God, Pick, get away from me. You're within six feet. I, um, you know, six feet turns out to be a lot shorter than I, I thought. I, I, I don't think I'm within six feet. So I have a question. Where did the six foot thing really come from? Is that good data or again, something made up? Made up, but made up in the framework of sliding scale, non-binary, there's not a truth. Uh, six feet is not as good as 20 feet, but it's way better than two feet. And you're probably not actually spitting on me at six feet. <laughs> then, then that's awesome. Right. There's, there's politeness reasons for six feet as well. It's nice. <laughs> so you're saying my breath is bad, but we'll move on from that. So welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are excited to be recording again. The age of COVID did many things. And the fact that it silenced two people who love to speak as much as the two of us means that it might have actually had some good effects. But we muffled, wanted... mu- muffled behind masks. Yeah, I don't know if right. completely silenced. So we thought we would talk about the teaching aspects of COVID and why it had such an amazing effect and, and maybe how to avoid some of the mistakes that were made. So I've heard you talk about uh, COVID as the uh, death of EBM, a signal of the end. It, it was one of those times in medicine where people seem to forget all of the things that we had learned about only believing things that are proven. Only believe things that are proven. Is anything ever really proven? Yeah, well, so people in medicine love to take logic uh, and apply it as if it were evidence. But so often, and I've heard you say this a bunch of times, uh, the logical example is beautiful and elegant and wrong. We really like the story. This should work. The molecule fits in the thing, and that lady has this, and on the underlying pathophys is, and then it doesn't work. And every time, we're shocked. We're shocked that estrogen therapy does not prevent heart attacks for the most part. We're completely shocked that the thing that on paper or maybe even in the lab doesn't translate into complicated human biology. And we keep getting surprised over and over. So this was COVID, right? I remember in the first week of of our response, we were told Motrin's bad. Uh, And patients would come in and go, I'm taking Tylenol, not Motrin, because I will die if I take Motrin. And you told them, that's crazy talk, and slapped them and fed them ibuprofen, right? Uh, Absolutely. Because uh, a minister in France uh, had a nice logical argument as to why Motrin might be bad, Motrin has been proven to be wonderful in a ton of diseases. Wait, wait, wait. You said proven, and then you said a ton of diseases. How can we apply your COVID background, your evidence to COVID, which is special and new and different? I think you're hitting the nail on the head. So we looked at COVID as if it were a completely new, unlike every other disease that we've ever fought. But wasn't it? It was. Well, it, it certainly had some aspects to it that were different than other diseases, But you know as well as I do, it's not time to abandon the germ theory of medicine just because we have a new germ. So 
fair, and I would probably say that anybody who talked about how different and new and uh, this journey of discovery went on with the COVID reports that we were following probably didn't dwell on how similar it was to viruses that cause ARDS, uh, our experience with other coronaviruses that put people in the ICU, uh, kind of the things we already knew. I, I think the challenge for us and the challenge as a teacher in this is when people are uncertain, when they're scared, when things are changing so fast and you don't have hard evidence that things work, you, you go back to the basics. Uh, emergency medicine is, is about uh, resuscitations and the basics. And I still think that COVID fit a lot of the basics. So I think that's a good lesson, right? We spend a lot of time debating this like very uh, almost ivory towery uh, third gen, uh, if the patient lives long enough care, but we help people by doing good bag mask ventilation. We help people by paying attention to the initial vitals and resuscitating them. Uh, and uh, if they benefit from the third generation high level care, it's because we kept them alive long enough to get there. And, and COVID was a thing where if you weren't sure about that uh, high level care, you were, you could be sure about the basic stuff, uh, about the resuscitation stuff. So it, it is true that they took away some of our basics. They, they so sadly took away my BiPAP and my high flow, which I love. Uh, and I can understand that because that had the potential to harm other people. So from a very simple risk benefit ratio, and taking that away when you have the alternative of intubating them seemed like uh, a good way to protect hospital people. So I, I accepted that one. I can't argue against uh, the protection of hospital people. I, I will say that the rules, even across different hospitals, were very different. Some hospitals uh, allowed BiPAP in certain situations. Some hospitals said in, in this room uh, where you would gown, high flow was all right. Uh, I, I think that is a little murkier. The idea of, of uh, helping to protect your healthcare workers was a huge resource management issue. And I, I think the math of when you would use BiPAP when vents were scarce was, was different. Uh, but certainly I think that pressure and oxygen Good for COVID for the most part, and uh, uh, we, we should use the tools that are good. You had been talking about this earlier. People, whenever a new therapy was thought about it, really wanted to use it. And I think that's more true when we are sort of confronted with bad outcomes. So uh, in the, at the height of New York City's COVID, when you were looking at really sick people and feeling like, you weren't doing much for them. You wanted to do more. And if someone said, I think X works, uh, your brain went to a default of good, we should do it, instead of like an EBM default of, well, what are the risks and benefits of X? What's the evidence for it? And maybe if it's unknown and equipoise, I should not do it. Uh, this is the don't just do something, stand there uh, fallback. We really, we want people who are teaching to be aware of things where there is no answer uh, or things where we're just not sure. And, and when confronted with that in a disease that's changing as rapidly as COVID, how do you deal with that, Pick? I think that if you were more uncomfortable with uncertainty before COVID, you were more likely to accept uh, that you should probably just concentrate on doing the basics right. Uh, as with something that was changing daily and uh, reports coming weekly, 
honestly, pretty crap data sets just getting verbally reported. We have a case series from this. Uh, we heard that. Uh, it was very hard to form a, a real opinion. So the knee-jerk thing would have been to not form an opinion at all. But instead, uh, a lot of people got on a lot of bandwagons. Uh, you said that the, the Motrin thing you were, you were killing early, uh, but there were other things. Uh, what about steroids? Were steroids good, bad, ugly? Right. So when steroids seemed to be taken from us, when there was some really poor, very early data saying that steroids might be bad, people stopped giving steroids for asthma. People stopped giving steroids for times Wait. when we know Wait, steroids Wait, no, that, that's over. We, that didn't happen. That it was, did happen. No, it was like the Motrin. It was like the, no, that's wrong. The, the critical care people have uh, judiciously used steroids for ARDS hypoxic patients forever. We shouldn't stop. Isn't that? One of the things that did happen that was wonderful in COVID was, I think many departments formed uh, WhatsApp or message groups and you shared information amongst each other because you had to. And, and on our message boards, people were, were so anti-steroid that they were not giving them for things where we have proven benefit. Wait, th that really happened? It happened. I missed this. I did not realize it was that bad. Uh, and then, of course, it flip-flopped because someone said, hey, this article said steroids are good. And I imagine uh, the, the people who were very anti suddenly became, let's give everyone death and drunk. So this is, this is what we're talking about, the, the death of evidence-based medicine. And, and I think that it's really important to realize that there are risks to being an early adopter, an early adopter to stopping therapy or an early adopter to starting something interesting. And I guess COVID, if it was special, uh, it was special in that it was changing so quickly and so new uh, that uh, the early adoptions would change weekly. Yeah, weekly. Weekly, you're being generous. I mean, there were other things in this that, that I thought made COVID very difficult from a teaching point of view. I'm old school, but they took away my physical exam. Oh, uh, yeah, the death of physical exam. So everyone has been railing about the stethoscope being an antiquated piece of machinery and our ears uh, not really uh, reflecting pathology. And then uh, they said, put on seven layers of, of PPE and try to get this thing in your ears and have a face shield and then uh, don't touch the patient except through six layers of gloves and still use the stethoscope. And it was, a lot of people said, just skip it. Uh, and they started CAT scanning everyone. And so if ever there was a complaint that the ED CAT scans instead of exams, man, COVID blew that up. I am hoping that we are moving back in that direction because I, I do think that, that there is a huge difference between uh, a tender abdomen and a painful abdomen. Uh, and I think that there are tons of things in physical exam which uh, allow you to move toward a diagnosis better than a CT scan sometimes. The other thing, of course, that they took away from us, which is part of the reason I love my job, is human contact. Mm, this is the uh, nobody comes into the ED, no family members. Even the sick patients, I would say, got less FaceTime because we were doing tons of donning and doffing and going in and out and trying to do everything in the room at once. So the contact both with the patient and with the family and the conversations were all pretty limited. Or on FaceTime. These are people who are struggling to breathe, are alone in a room, are truly suffering, and they can have almost no human contact. That is, uh, it sounds so cruel. The other thing is that just putting a mask on so changed my ability to facially show caring. And, you know, reading somebody's eyes is a lot more difficult. 
Yeah, communication with the mask on is different. I think I'm a, a little more robotic, so I think the number of smiles is probably the same. But yeah, facing someone and uh, touching them and uh, just having them see the expression on your face was very different. What about uh, the isolation, not just from the patient or the family members, how about the isolation from each other? Well, that I think affected a, a lot of people and I'm very happy to be coming out the other side. Even, even being six feet from you is really nice because it allows for us to behave in the ways that we are used to. Yeah, I think that especially when you were sort of feeling uh, like you weren't able to help a lot of patients or you were seeing the, a lot of bad outcomes in front of you, the, the support systems were kind of taken away. The people who would understand what you were going through were by and large huddled in their own houses afraid to come near you. Yeah, when your own, when your own fellow physicians are trying to avoid you, that's a bad sign. So we had the death of EBM, the death of the physical exam, and the death of human contact. Uh, was COVID the time of the death of teaching? So I thought that this was one of those times where teaching was more important than ever. We've done modeling as a topic before, but I think that, that modeling in this case was some of the most important things that we did. So modeling could be some of that treatment pattern stuff. Uh, when you are trying to do the basics and do them well, you're highlighting that you feel that's important. Uh, and when you, other people see that you are not adopting every fly-by-night, maybe this will work treatment, it gives them permission to do the same. That. Also, modeling around PPE became exceptionally important, and it still is. If your level of comfort was one where you wore a certain kind of mask or a certain, wore a certain kind of clothing, that was going to be adopted by the people you worked with, whether you meant to have it adopted by them or not. This was a time where more was better when it came to PPE, where it was better to model the behavior of uh, more mask, more face shield, more headgear, to make sure, especially before we knew how infectious this was, that we knew that we were going to keep our team safe, and that team safety became a real issue. So normalizes it again, makes it the common standard practice again, uh, makes people uh, comfortable that this is what our group is going to do. And that's kind of a society thing, right? Like if I am alone in the park biking uh, and there's no one around, do I need to wear a mask? Uh, legitimately, maybe not. But if I am outdoors anywhere in any situation, and um, especially if I'm wearing like a scrub top, I'm going to wear a mask even if it's low risk because it sends a signal to people that uh, it's a serious thing. Now, I don't wear scrub tops outside the hospital very often. I'm usually in a ripped t-shirt of some sort. This was one of those times where occasionally I, I would uh, because honestly, when I was wearing a scrub top, I knew people would avoid me. <laughs> so you were uh, inducing your own social distancing. Yeah, absolutely. Very yeah, good. Usually it's just my smell that does that. So, so we could also teach uh, around, uh, besides modeling, uh, we could teach just basic stuff we always teach, like risk-benefit. The knee-jerk idea that a treatment is beneficial uh, and not risky is something that the docs in general do. We know that doctors overestimate the benefits of treatment and underestimate the harm. That doctors are way more about doing something than just standing there. And in times of uncertainty, going back to the basics, the less is more uh, is, is, is evidence-based. It's don't assume lack of harm uh, when uh, people are uh, assuming there's this untold benefit, right? Oh, the science will back me up eventually. I feel it in my heart. No, it won't. You're wrong. That's the lesson of COVID. 
don't forget the rest of what you've learned from medicine just because you have a news disease. And when it happens the next time, will we have learned this lesson? I think we will have learned some lessons. I guarantee <laughs> that uh, we will make mistakes. We'll do better. Thank you. Okay, Tom, what is the article we're going to be talking about today? So today's article is the aerosol box for intubation in coronavirus disease 2019. Patients, an in-situ simulation crossover study. All right, anesthesia 2020 and exactly what we're talking about. Innovative solutions for this never-before-seen problem of getting contaminated by your patient. Uh, so this was a thing where they had anesthetists doing multiple intubations in multiple scenarios using the box. Uh, we had a box. We had a, we had an acrylic thing the engineers made with armholes and things. Did you ever use the box? I looked at the box. I thought the box was kind of cool. I reached around and put my hands in the thing and my nose was pressed up against the plexiglass and then I never used the box. When I actually intubated, we chose other ways. And this study would actually uh, support your initial impression. So the box was a, another novel uh, solution to a new thing, a uh, new problem of COVID. What they looked at was first pass success. They looked at level of hypoxia, and they actually also looked at potential disruption or damage to the PPE as your arms went in and out of those holes. And what they found was in all of the cases, the time to first pass success was more, the level of hypoxia was worse, and there were a few times that they weren't sure if the PPE was disrupted. So this was a, uh, not a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This was a, our solution broke the success that we enjoy for training at first pass success. And so I, I think this is what it comes down to is emergency physicians are excellent at airway management. And we get there by training in airway management. Part of that training from moment one is muscle memory. I do this, I do this, and the more you do it, the more comfortable you are, the better you get at it. This was a fix where you had to completely change the motions that you did. You had to figure out how to have all of your equipment inside the box. There were lots of obstacles to overcome to use this thing, and, and we're using them in the sickest group of patients. This is not a group of patients where there's three minutes of oxygenation that's just fine while you can set up. This is a time where, where you drop your O2 sets so quickly. Yeah. Uh, we, we always talk about how that uh, oxygen curve where you have uh, three to six minutes uh, is just not the case in most of our, our patients. And COVID, man, COVID was like eight seconds and they started out at an 82% best. Uh, pretty bad. It, this made everything harder. Uh, and these guys studied it and said, yeah, uh, what did you expect would happen? So it but, didn't work as well. But the question then becomes, did it do what we want? Because we will accept that if it were really protecting everybody in the room, maybe we need to make exceptions. Okay, if you're going to design a new process on top of what you do, point of the first article is don't break what already works. But what if you're avoiding an even bigger problem? You need to pr protect your docs. So, uh, so the second article we're going to touch on is measurement of airborne particle exposure during simulated tracheal intubation using various proposed aerosol containment devices during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this article again, uh, Anesthesia from 2020, uh, says, well, does it work? 
let's measure how many particles are coming out and we'll do no device, we'll do drapes, we'll do horizontal vertical drapes, we'll do the box. So how well did we do? Terribly. Drapes make no difference. The standard two armholes cut out box uh, seemed to actually concentrate COVID into a plume. And the second you move the box, the concentrated plume went into people's faces and made it worse, not better. The only thing that at all reduced the COVID particle amounts was having a dedicated suction device that took air away. So not only did we screw up all the things we trained for and put in a novel environment, we didn't even have the outcome we wanted. New isn't better? New isn't better. Tried and true. Don't break what ain't broken. So if we're going to be talking COVID, nothing is more COVID than that's not a thing. Everything is COVID, but nothing is a thing. There was a little while where any symptom you could possibly have was COVID. And now, none of the symptoms that people have are COVID. COVID is everywhere, but it also it's asymptomatic. So even the none of the symptoms, they're still COVID, Tom. So there are a lot of that's not a things around COVID. One of my favorites uh, was... The, uh, all the health officials are saying, good God, go outside, and it's okay to have dinner outside because of UV light. UV light. Now, now UV light is sterilizes thing. things, right? I, thing. I have a wand, it goes on my device, it kills things. So it makes sense. Yes, but just being outside does not mean you can't uh, you know, transmit the disease. And you know when dinner happens? When does dinner happen? Night, night, time. Night, and night. you know when there's less okay. UV light. So the sun probably doesn't sterilize me. Also, it goes down half the time, and the air just just runs free, infecting so, us. Not, not a thing. Not what, a thing. What's one for you? I like the I like the heat and humidity. It is okay in places that it is hot and humid. Um, so there's like a couple of big problems. Uh, flu, legitimately, for slightly mysterious reasons, honestly, doesn't like heat and humidity. Therefore, other viruses like corona, I mean, people get colds in non-winter months. Why did we think so that... I hear that Brazil is not really that icy and cold. Wait, and is there coronavirus in Brazil, Tom? It seems like there's quite a lot of coronavirus this, in Brazil. This sounds like both a take evidence for a thing and apply it to a different thing badly, as well as a... On paper, I think this, look at reality and abandon your nice idea. Uh, heat and humidity, useless. Okay, and, and pick, should we be drinking bleach? I'm going to go, and I, I, I honestly, I don't know the science on this, Tom, but I know that I learned that bleach is bad for your esophagus. Okay, so, so take a message on bleach is if you weren't drinking it before, don't start now. So that's a nice uh, less is more, uh, don't break what if it's ain't broken. Also, if you were drinking bleach before... Also, stop drinking bleach. Thanks for listening. Go out there and make better doctors. Get out there and make doctors better. Get around.